The first one is Daniel 9, 20 to 23. While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my plea before the Lord my God for the holy hill of my God, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the first, came to me in swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice. He made me understand, speaking with me and saying, O Daniel, I have now come out to give you insight and understanding. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out, and I have come to tell it to you, for you are greatly loved. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. And the second reading is from James five thirteen to 18. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. Thanks, Caitlin. Hello again. All right, we're going to tuck into uh, a bit of a, a topic today. Um, we don't do many topics, by, either in, in South Barwon or in the Hub. Uh, it's not really a pattern. We, we typically have a pattern of dig- digging into one passage at a time, going through a chunk of a book or an entire book, uh, chapter by chapter or even verse by verse. Uh, today's going to be a little bit different. Uh, I asked Clinton what I could preach on, uh, and he said that it would be fine if we preached today on the topic of prayer in many ways. Uh, we're not going to be doing what we, what we usually do. We're going to be um, going through a bunch of different verses, a bunch of different passages, and pulling out um, lots of different things from each of them to build together a, an understanding of what prayer is and what it looks like. Uh, we, partly we call this biblical theology, where we go through themes of the Bible, and partly we call this systematic theology, where we, we grab all these ideas and we add some logic to them and we come up with a theology of prayer. So that's what we're going to be doing today. And the question we're going to answer uh, is, does prayer change anything? So this has come out of a series for us at the Hub, where we uh, have asked people, what questions have you got? What, what's been laying on your heart? What have you been seeking an answer to for a long time that maybe we could uh, go through scripture and, and answer that question for you? And one of these questions came in like this. Uh, Someone wrote in, an anonymous person wrote in and said, the Bible tells us that God knew us before we were born and that our days are numbered. So my question is, if someone is ill and we pray for their healing, does it really make any difference? Does God change his mind? Now we're going to answer that question. I hope we have some good answers to that. And I just want to ask you as we start, bear with me if you feel like I'm going a little bit slow. Uh, it's a really important issue and I want to cover it well. And also bear with me if we go a little bit fast because there's a lot to cover uh, in here. 
Because this question of does prayer change anything, I think hits us uh, right in a very insecure part of who we are as Christians. Maybe sometimes we, we wonder this question quite frequently. It's a good question to answer because unanswered prayer seems to be a staple of the Christian life, doesn't it? We lie in bed awake for hours and hours after having asked God for sleep. We're unmarried for years and years after continuous prayer asking God for a spouse. If we have a spouse, our spouse is unchanged after years and years of disharmony. You will have noticed that Christians get sick and die. And all of the thoughts and all of the prayers don't seem to have stopped the shootings that go on, along, go on around the world, have they? Even things which seem to be obviously good things aren't given to us. A good friend's depression, maybe, is limiting the way that they serve the Lord, even though they might be able to do so much more if they were well. Our unbelieving friends still die in their sins. Our children aren't saved. And this kind of begs a few questions, I think. If God listens to our prayer, does he just not care? Oh, maybe we're not being emotional enough with God. Does God need more rousing emotional heart cries before he's moved to care or moved to action? Maybe we start to wonder, is God strong enough to do what we ask him to do? Is God sovereign? Does he have the power to act? Can he actually do what we ask him to do or are we asking too much? Or maybe we wonder, maybe like the question has asked, because of God's sovereignty, does he simply have all things planned out, every little step along the way, and nothing will change no matter how we ask? I think that's the heart of the question that's been asked today. I've got uh, four points today. And my first one is that our sovereign God does have everything planned. Our sovereign God does have everything planned. So when we talk about uh, the doctrine or the understanding of God's sovereignty, we're talking about the idea that God, by virtue of being the creator of this world, has all authority over it. We sang this already this morning. Um, he's got every grain of sand numbered. He, because he owns what he makes... He rules what he owns. We've used this phrase a few times at the hub. He owns what he makes and he rules what he owns. We're saying that God is the supreme authority, the authority above all other authorities, and that every single thing is under his control. And the Bible shows us this. I'll, I'll give you a few different passages. Um, you might not want to fo follow me. We've got quite a few to do and I'm going to move quickly. So in Jeremiah 32, 17, you can write them down if you want, we hear... Ah, Lord God, it is you who have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. 
nothing is too hard for you. Isaiah 55.11, God says, So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Proverbs 21.1 says that even the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wills. The king's heart, God can turn and move. Job 42.2 says, I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. And in Ephesians 1.11, we read, In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. When I, when I wrote this verse down, I thought I'll put the important words in bold so I can emphasize them. And by the end of it, there was about three words that weren't in bold. This whole verse is, is, is trying to show us that all things have been molded, shaped, conformed around God's plan for the purpose of his will and nothing escapes it. Everything moves in the direction of God's plan and God's will because he is sovereign and that's how he acts. God has a plan. He actively works out everything or all things for the purpose of his will. And we see this in the Bible, don't we? We see examples of this all the time throughout biblical history. Uh, In Genesis 3.15, we catch the first glimpse of it, I think. Um, this is co- often called the first gospel, the, the Proto-Evangelion, uh, this passage. And it says that the descendant of Adam, God says that the descendant of Adam shall bruise your, that's Satan's, uh, Satan's head, and the serpent, Satan, shall... Sorry, I've said bruise, I meant crush. I'll start again. The descendant of Adam shall crush Satan's head, and the serpent shall bruise his heel. God is is putting forward at the very start of this earth a plan that is going to be accomplished later on in in time. God is, is predicting what will happen because he can make this happen. Later on, God could command Abram to almost carry out the sacrifice, the, the death of his son. Stopping him, remember, just in time, just at the last moment, so that God himself could provide the sacrifice. God himself could could provide what was needed for the sacrifice. And this was looking forward to God's great plan to sacrifice his own son, Jesus, to rescue the world. God used this as an illustration to show what he was going to do. God could set up the Passover in Exodus 12 calling for a sacrificial lamb without spot or blemish so that his people would be passed over without dying and be rescued from Egypt, foreshadowing the plan of God to send his son as a lamb so that his children would not die but be rescued from their slavery to sin. Can you see that throughout Scripture there is a pattern of God 
foreshadowing, predicting, promising, prophesying that events, major big events and even small events are going to take place. And the only way God can do this is if he is sovereign over this world to bring about, to conform all things to his plans. And honestly, as Christians, we would want nothing less, would we? I mean, if you've read to the end of the book, you see that Jesus wins. And God can only write this in his book if he can make it happen. There is a predetermined outcome at the end that we love as Christians and that we need. You need, you want a sovereign God who can conform all of history, past and future, to his will. So if we believe that God works all things to the counsel of his will, according to Ephesians 1.11, and that his knowledge of all things past, present and future is infallible, then doesn't it, isn't it true that it doesn't matter what we do, we can't change the outcome? Not just of the final plan or of the plan for Jesus on the cross, but of any plan. And if so, what is the point of praying that anything will happen? Well, it's because although our sovereign God has everything planned, although our sovereign God has everything planned, his plans include us. His plans include us. As part of God's sovereignty, he has decreed that he will use us for his plans. One guy put it like this. Uh, I did a lot of reading, uh, both on the internet and in a few books, uh, before I prepared this. And one guy put it like this. He said, you and I, we're part of the divine plan. We're not just pieces in a great big cosmic machine that God has dreamed up. We're the sons and the daughters of God. And one of the major parts of the divine plan is for us to grow in intimacy with God, and so he answers prayers. There's real beauty in that, isn't there? I find real beauty in that. This this all-powerful, sovereign God who has a plan that will bring him glory and accomplish his ends chooses to use people like you and me in everyday life. The most ordinary people there are. One of the beautiful things about this is is we don't need to be a president. We don't need to be a, a powerful businessman with great influence. We don't need to be one of those uh, great people who who walk through history and seem to change and shape the world around them. The, the people that there are photos of or, or you know, you see a bust in a, in a corner in a museum or something like that. We don't need to be those people. God uses us nobodies because we're not nobodies. We're his children and he chooses, he ordains to use us. And not just in the significant events of the 21st century. God chooses to use us in the plan of the ages, resulting in the glory of God and of his son Jesus, our brother and our saviour. And we shouldn't actually be surprised by this. Because God uses ordinary things 
all the time to bring his plan about. Have you noticed this? Um, See, if God wanted to reach uh, some unreached people group with the gospel uh, so that they could hear about him and be saved, he could do this miraculously, couldn't he? If he's sovereign, if he's sovereign, he could do something miraculous. He could send some vision to these people across the world straight to them and they would know about him. He could descend down from heaven in all his glory and show them who he is. He could just miraculously implant knowledge in their minds about who he is. But he doesn't. He uses ordinary means. He chooses to call his church to send missionaries and to translate the Bible and to sacrificially love and serve them and show them the gospel. Does it in other ways too. If there's someone in church who is in financial need, or maybe a daughter church who is in financial need, uh, running out of food or money for the week, someone who can't feed their kids, God could do the old Mother Hubbard thing, but in reverse. You remember anyone remember old Mother Hubbard? Here's a go. Old Mother Hubbard lived in a cupboard. Old Mother Hubbard. I wrote it. Wrote it down. Old Mother Hubbard. <laughs> Old Mother Hubbard went to the cupboard to give her poor dog a bone, but when she got there, oh, the cupboard was bare, and so the poor dog had none. And it's a story of poverty, isn't it? It's a story of there's there's not even enough food in the house to give the dog a scrap. And God could do the opposite of that. We could have it more like um, Old Mother Hubbard went to the cupboard to get her poor dog a bone, and when she went there, the cupboard was full, and so the poor dog had lots. That could just be the way it is. There's, There's all of a sudden food in the cupboard. God could, God could just change the number in her bank account, couldn't he? He could do that for any of us, but he doesn't. He causes food to grow in the paddock, someone to farm it and bring it to market, us to buy it, and the people of the church to lovingly give of their excess to help those in need. God uses ordinary means to bring about in his world, everything that he accomplishes, everything that he purposes all the time, all the time. And prayer is no different. God uses his people's prayer to accomplish his purposes. It's a wonderful thing. We're part of God's plan. John Piper puts it like this. Prayer is a human act that God has ordained and which he delights in. He has promised to respond to prayer And his response is just as contingent upon our prayer as our prayer is in accordance with his will. And so we find out that because of the way our sovereign God uses us for his plans, our prayers are powerful. I'll reread that. Because of the way our sovereign God uses us for his plans, Our prayers are powerful. Scripture makes some very bold promises when it comes to prayer, doesn't it? Maybe as um, the readings were being read out, you thought, oh no, where's he going to go with this passage? Because this passage is scary. Um, But we shouldn't flinch away from how strongly the power of prayer is spoken of. Let me read a couple of verses. Uh, 1 John 5.14 says, This is the confidence that we have towards him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. James 5.15, 
which was read out earlier, the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. Next verse says, the power, no, sorry, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Astonishing verses, aren't they? They're verses that we, we don't even know how to read because of what they promise. And we see it throughout, throughout Scripture as well. Lots of examples in Scripture of prayer being incredibly powerful. Joshua, in uh, Joshua chapter 10, he prayed asking for the sun not to go down that day. And God answered it. What an incredibly powerful prayer. Hannah, in 1 Samuel 1, prayed like it would result in her having a child. And it did. Elijah prayed for rain, James 5, like it would actually change the situation. And it did. Daniel 9, verse 20 uh, this is one of my favorite passages, uh, which is also read out earlier. Daniel was, was given a particular insight into prayer in this way. He got a behind-the-scenes look of, of some of the ways in which God answers his prayer, and it says before he'd even finished praying, before he'd even finished, he hadn't yet said the amen, an angel was dispatched. Gabriel turns up, an answer was given. And the angel said, let me tell you about the future. Let me tell you about this answer to your prayer. I wonder, do we have confidence in prayer? When you ask for healing, do you ask with expectancy? When you pray for sleep, do your eyes close with peace, knowing that it's in your Father's powerful hands? When you ask God to provide you with a wife, do you keep your eyes open for his provision? You probably do with that one. <laughs> I remember being there. We should have confidence. We have a powerful God who listens. So how does God answer prayer? What do answers to prayer look like? Well, Scripture, scripture statements are qualified here a little bit tells us a bit about what to expect. In John 5.15, it says, if we ask anything, anything, anything what? Anything in accordance with his will, he hears us. It doesn't say anything at all, full stop, sentence over. It says anything in accordance with his will. James 5, uh, the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. That's said just after James has finished talking about everything even our day-to-day travels and business, being subject to the Lord's will. So it's not anything at all. It's anything qualified. And so we find that God answers prayer with three different replies. You might have heard these replies before. I think they really help us understand things. The three different replies, or the three different answers to prayer, is yes, no, and not yet. Yes, no, and not yet. So if your prayer is in accordance with God's will, God will say, yes, here it is. I will answer in exactly the way that you have asked. If it is not where God is headed, it is not what God wants to do, God will say, no, that's not my plan. My plan is my plan. And if God has that thing in mind for you, but the timing isn't right, 
It might feel like a no, but it's actually a not yet. See, God, by his wisdom, might say, yes, I will heal this child, your child, of this disease and stop its effects and its tracks. He might say, no, that job you're looking for, that is not what I have in mind for you. I have something better. He might say, no, now is not yet time for a wife. You've got some growing to do. You're not ready. At the moment, I would be inflicting you upon someone else. These are three different answers to prayer. Now, this, this helps us understand the way God answers prayer. But it doesn't help us understand what the primary purpose of prayer is. So my last point is that the primary purpose of prayer is to change us. Primary purpose of prayer is to change us. And this is because prayer is truly a two-way conversation with God. Okay, Prayer is truly a two-way conversation with God. It's not one-way traffic like, like a Santa list. Uh, where you send off a list of requests and wait for them to be answered. Um, did anyone ever do an official Santa list? Anyone ever do that? No one. Man, how reformed are these, these people? No, not even a single Santa list. I must admit, I didn't do one either, but I did the amount of times I would sit there like every now and then my brother had a sleepover in my room. And, you know, those are the times when you'd go through the lists of all the things you'd want. And, you know, kids, and even adults, we have these lists uh, where we do this all the time. Uh, I used to, one of the things I constantly prayed for was a remote control car. Back in the 80s, that was the thing to have, a remote control car, and I always wanted one. Uh, I used to pray for a TV in my room. I was never allowed to have a TV in my room because I could watch whatever I wanted. I could have my independence. I thought that um, a sword would be an awesome thing to have, and my brothers and sisters would come in and have a sword um, or, you know, some other way to trap or hurt my siblings or exert my power over them. I wasn't a very nice brother to have, I think. Um, and, you know, you'd write these lists and you'd send off all 22 prayer requests or Santa requests off to Santa and you'd wait for the big day. And I never got my sword. <laughs> I never got the TV in my room. I never even got the remote control car. Well, I got one once, but it didn't have any batteries and I had to buy my own. And then they ran out after about 10 seconds because it was the 80s and that's what happened. That, that's what prayer is not like or what prayer should not be like because prayer is truly communion, two-way conversation with God. That's what the difference is between a monologue and a conversation. In one of them, you're open to change and in the other, you're not. Have you ever had an argument with someone where you weren't prepared to listen. Come on. No one. No one. You guys are hard. I've had these all the time. So I know you have too. One of those arguments where, you know, you've thought about it, you know, for the last five hours. You've had this argument in your head and you've thought about all the different ways it can go. You can remember, you can think of their replies and you've got answers ready for them and you're just ready to yell at them and tell them how it is. And all those replies you've got ready because you know what is right, you know the answers, and you're going to let them have it. That's a monologue. It's not a conversation. It's not a discussion. You're telling them something, not being willing to change. 
In a conversation, you're open to ideas. You're open to being changed. You're open to learning something and having your, your heart pointed in a new direction. Prayer is a conversation. And it primarily changes us. If our prayer is like a monologue or a Santa list filled with what we call supplications, things that we ask God for, then we're missing the richness of a two-way conversation. And we're going to fail to fear, well, we're going to feel like God fails to answer us. Fails to answer prayer. We're going to wonder if he actually listens or if he's even there. If that's what we're expecting from God, then we're going to miss out so often. So I want to pro- propose to you um, a different way to pray. And maybe you've heard this a million times before. It's a little acronym called ACTS. So ACTS, like you think of the book of, the book of ACTS in the Bible, A-C-T-S. It stands for Adoration, Confession, Thanksgiving, and Supplication. Now this, this isn't a rule for praying. It's not a, a way to do religion better, but it's a wonderful and a beautiful way of praying. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. So I'm going to give you an example, and it's an example that sort of follows uh, a type of prayer that I often pray. It's nothing too specific, but it's, a prayer for, it's an example of a prayer for my own life. So here's the example. If you intentionally pray something like the acts pattern in prayer, you might begin with adoration, adoring God. You might begin by adoring him for his merciful character. You might remember his, his mercy to you, maybe, maybe over a particular sin just a couple of weeks ago. You might be thankful and, and just praise God for the mercy he gave you in that time. And, and you might remember that Jesus experienced the Father's righteous anger for your sin on your behalf. And God might speak, speak to you. He might answer your prayer of adoration by prompting you to confess. The second thing, confession. Confess that since that sin you failed again and again. And that sometimes you haven't even given that sin which you were so upset about last time a second thought. He might prompt you, remind you that you've forgotten how seriously God takes sin and just how holy and pure and righteous God is. And then God might respond to your prayer of confession by reminding you of Hebrews 4.16. That by Jesus, in spite of all the wickedness of our sin, we should now have confidence to draw near the throne of grace. And that you then can respond to God's prompting with thankfulness, which is the third point, thanksgiving. And so, by the time you get to supplication, the things that you ask God for, and you, you, know, you were going to go in there going, oh, God, would you do something about my neighbor who starts his motorbike at 5 a.m. every time? Can you just do something in his life? Maybe, 
break the finger that, that accelerates, I don't know, what you, what you had in mind for, for, the, for your neighbor. But by the time you get to that point, God has reminded you that he's a God of grace and mercy and you follow his son Jesus, a, a, a king of mercy, and that maybe his answer to your noisy neighbor is for you to forgive them and love them and pray for their blessing. That's how prayer changes us. So to finally answer the question that was asked, how are we to think when we pray for someone we love to be healed and they're not? When they die. Now, I'm really conscious that this is a sensitive issue. And, and I, I know some of this pain myself. And I don't want to be calloused in the way that I speak. But we're to remember when this happens that our God is sovereign and that he has used our prayers in powerful ways no matter the outcome we see at the end. And that he has planned and ordained in his perfect wisdom, for that person's time to be up then. Has your prayer extended their life? Very possibly. Maybe not. We don't know specifics. Maybe prayer at that time is an exercise in growing in your understanding of God's wisdom in the hardest of times. Maybe he's teaching you to trust his plans more than yours. Maybe he's leading you slowly towards a greater understanding of the fact that your joy needs to be in him and not primarily in other relationships. Maybe God has answered yes to your prayers for health and safety for this person a dozen times before. Have anyone ever prayed for what, what people used to call travelling mercies? If you know, nobody likes putting their hands up. Like it's, yeah, all right, someone has. It's good. Maybe God has answered those travelling mercy prayers a hundred times when you've gone in the car with that person before. Maybe that time when they had an infection when they were a child, they were going to die and God stepped in. Maybe that time they almost choked on your lunch and, and you laughed about it afterwards. God answered your prayers. God had previously answered just how you wanted him to. And this time he has not. Many of you know that uh, last year I had cancer. And I don't um, bring this up all the time, but I think it's particularly pertinent. As part of my chemo, I had something called a pulmonary embolism. Uh, the nurses might know what this is. Um, it's a big uh, blood clot that broke off from somewhere inside my, my calves or somewhere like that. Now, it can be called a deep vein thrombosis until it breaks off, and it's a blood clot. And this, this blood clot was sort of pumped up through my veins, pumped through my body to go smashing through my heart, you know, through the ventricles and the atrium and all the other little bits and pieces that you've got in there, and it goes smashing through there and lodged in my lung. And, and my wife Jude was there at the moment this happened. Uh, I was being moved from a wheelchair uh, into a, you know, a chemo bed, 
and, and in the act of standing up, this thing came smashing through my body. And I'm told that my face went completely green uh, and that my lips went blue. And, and I've never felt anything like this before. It's as close as I've ever felt to death. Um, it was, yeah, really, really awful. People drop dead from those things all the time. That's, that's how some people die, particularly young people. Just, you drop dead, game over in an instant. It could have been me. And I didn't. I didn't drop dead. 40 years ago, in the 70s, the cancer that I had, the type of cancer that I had, it took 99% of people. And the cancer that I had was a, is a young man's cancer. You don't get it after you're 40. And through these things, God answered the prayers of my family, the prayers of this church, and even the prayers of people I'd never met in Malaysia. There were people in Malaysia praying for me who I, I still don't know who they are. God answered them. I did not die. I'm standing you here before you here together. Here together. Here before you. Because I did not die and God answered prayer. And yet, if I died in 10 years' time, at the relatively young age of 48, we would say, why, Lord? Why would you let this happen? Why have you not answered our prayers? Why do you remain silent all the time? If you've lost a loved one, it's because God has said, now is the time and my timing is best. Has God saved them from something far more awful that would have happened a year down the road? We'll never know. Has God used that awful death to somehow advance his kingdom and bring himself glory? Yes. That we know for sure. We read in Romans 8, for we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him. Your prayers as the children of God are powerful and effective and we should pray expectantly with great hope and trust in our sovereign God who answers prayer. And when we'd get the answer we didn't want, we should humbly say, not my will, but yours be done. Can we say that together now in prayer? Thank you, Lord, for the power of prayer. Thank you for your sovereignty. Thank you that you have control over everything. You hold every grain of sand in your hand. You hold the hearts of kings. You turn them as you wish. Every single thing comes under your control. Thank you that because you love us, because you have chosen and ordained to do so, our prayers are used in your eternal plan. Thank you that the way we pray and the way that we act are used by you in the plans of eternity and that you give our prayers great power. Lord, we ask that you would help us to pray with great expectancy, knowing your power and your sovereignty, but that you would also help us pray, knowing that your wisdom is greater than ours, not just sending off a list, but being willing to be changed by you in the way that we pray. Lord, we pray that you would change us. Show us your character. Show us your nature. Show us your love for this world, for your people. Show us in the way that you answer prayers, 
even differently than we ask. Lord, we we ask that prayer would be something that we love, that we hold on dearly to. We ask that our prayers would be beautiful two-way conversations with you. We ask that you would uh, help us to understand when our prayers aren't answered the way that we would like them to. We pray, Lord, particularly for those people who have lost loved ones or who have uh, very sick and ill people in their lives at the moment. We know that it is a difficult time to, to hear and know or are not yet. And we pray that you would be with these people at this time and that you would give them comfort and nearness in whatever answer you give. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.